Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, well, today's a little bit different. Just me on the podcast today, nobody uh, being interviewed. I just want to take a few minutes, take a little while, take an episode, and talk about some of the really cool things I've been learning lately about productivity and creativity and different things. And I got a really cool announcement I want to make at the end of the show, and I want to talk about some other things and really just the future of the Board Game Design Lab and talk about where we're going uh, for the rest of this year. And so some things I'm excited about I want to share with you but first, I want to get into the episode, and this is Hacking Creativity to Become the Best in the World. So this is some things I've been learning through blog posts and videos, and I watch a lot of YouTube stuff about creativity and productivity hacks and things like that. And so I've been learning some cool stuff I want to share with you, things I think will help you uh, in your game designs. And what's cool, a lot of this stuff applies no matter what field you're in, whether you're designing games or writing books or making music or movies or whatever. These are some really cool concepts that will help you not only in game design, but just kind of in life in general. This is some stuff that could probably help you with your kids or help you with your marriage. And so I just want to share that with you today. And before we get started, I want to just kind of make sure you we all understand the, the word hack. Because we see that word a lot with, you know, hacking life and, you know, life hacks and all these things about making things easier. But hacking doesn't necessarily make things easier. That's, that's one thing I want you to know going in. A lot of these things I'm going to talk about today aren't necessarily going to make things easier for you. It's, it's hacking in a different way. If you think about what hacking is, if you're hacking a computer program or a system, what you're really doing is creating a hole. You're creating a way to get inside that system when normally maybe you're not able to. And so that's really where we're going today. Is these, are, these are some ideas, some concepts that are going to help you hack your way into some systems where maybe normally, under normal circumstances, you know, your normal kind of state of being, you wouldn't be able to get in there. And so we're going to hack some things creatively and productivity, product, productively. There we go. We'll go with that word. <laughs> and uh, have some fun today making up words as well. Uh, but anyway, I think it's going to be something. It's something that's been helping me. And so I feel like it's something that was going to, to help many of you. We're going to start with a quote from Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss is a prolific podcaster. He's a writer, national bestseller, best, uh, New York Times bestseller. A really cool guy. Has some cool ideas. And he said this, to learn from the best, you don't need to meet them. You just need to absorb them. You just need to learn from them. You just need to take what they write, or you know, maybe they're producing videos online and maybe doing podcasts, or whatever, and you need to just take that information. You don't necessarily have to sit down and, and talk to them, because more than likely you're not going to be able to. In our space, you're probably not going to have time to chat with Eric Lang or Ignacy Chebicek or any of those other just prolific designers. But you could learn from the things that they create, whether it's interviews or you know blog posts or whatever. I know Ignacy, he does a lot of stuff online. And you can kind of absorb their processes and, and the way they do things and, and how they've grown and what they've learned and their experiences. You can absorb those things as if they mentored you, so to speak. And you can kind of learn from their experiences. And that's that's really what I hope this podcast is, has been doing. It's been helping you learn from the best in the world and just through these interviews, through these talks, through these chats, and uh, gain their knowledge, gain their experience and make make your games better, right? I really hope this podcast has been helping you design great games that people love. And that's kind of our, our main thing. And so this is going to be one of those things where we're both going to be learning. This is things I've learned that I just want to share uh, with you. And I've been sharing with lots of people. Lately. Uh, I teach down in Honduras. I teach English at a high school. 
And I remember going through a number of these concepts with my 12th grade students, you know, as they're getting ready to go off in the world and try to be somebody. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that they needed to hear because they're, they're, they're thinking, you know, what, they're trying to figure out what the world is, but their perception is not necessarily reality. And so these are some things that, uh, that I think have helped them as far as like goal setting and, and kind of getting in the, the mindset of actually, actually doing something with your life and getting out of your mom's basement and not playing Fortnite 12 hours a day, but actually doing something valuable. And one of the things I had them do was we went through this kind of goal setting process. And one of the, the prompts, one of the questions I asked they had to write about was to name two or three people that you know, not necessarily know personally, just that you know of, that you admire. So two or three people that you admire and why you admire them. Now, this could have been the, you know your parents. It could be a, a, a certain English teacher, I told them, you know, if you wanted to. <laughs> uh, it could be an athlete. It could be a celebrity, someone you've never met before that you've just seen you know, on TV or online. And write, you know, write about that person and write about why you admire them. What is it about them that you want to be like, right? The, the things, the, the character traits that, that they have that you wish that you had and write that out. And it's something really, really valuable about actually just kind of putting that idea on the page. Because a lot of times we, you know, we have heroes, we have people we admire, we look up to, but we don't necessarily like go into the specifics about why. Like, why do you like the, that person? Now, I'm, I've been a huge fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson for, I don't know, 20 years now. I think 1998 when he was in the WWE, the WWF at the time for, for all you uh, good, warm-blooded Americans that love professional wrestling more than they probably should. Not that I do that. But anyway, uh, I remember back in the day, he was just this kind of larger-than-life character, but I really admired his work ethic, his just his willingness to get in the weight room, you know, get in the gym, do whatever it took to, to get his body where it needed to be to go out and perform at a high level. And I really admired that. And I, I kind of took a lot of his ideas and concepts and things he talked about in interviews, and I applied them to what I was doing, you know, playing football and just trying to get better and trying to get bigger and trying to get faster and stronger and, and, and become a better player there. And, and so, you know, I actually kind of wrote down some things, some things I wanted to be like, you know, that, that The Rock uh, was like. And so it, it was really helpful to me back when I was a teenager and then uh, a much younger man. Uh, and I've been trying to do that lately and just kind of writing down, you know, who do I admire? Why do I admire them? And, and you know, kind of putting that in bullet points on a page and, and trying to figure out, well, how do I get get there? How, to become, how do I become more and more like these people that I admire? Not that I want to be them. I don't want their life. I want my life, but I want my life to have some of these characteristics that they have. And so what does that look like? And kind of creating goals and setting goals to kind of drive me towards those things. And so hopefully today you're going to learn some things that will kind of move, move you forward, move you towards those things as well. I know a lot of times we, we worry, we get anxious, we get nervous. You know, a lot of us are, are very creative people and that tends to go hand in hand with self-doubt and not believing that you can do it, not believing what, you, uh, what you're creating is good enough or is any good at all. And a lot of times we, we want to wait until we have, you know, 101% certainty about things. And it just doesn't work. You, you have to f kind of find your way in, in at least partial darkness, kind of have to go into the shadow, into the deep, dark caves of life to really get this stuff figured out. Whether you're writing books or making music or designing games, it doesn't matter. When you're traveling down these creative avenues, it's a lot of, a lot of times you're kind of finding your way in the dark. And this is something I learned from uh, Jeff Bezos the uh, owner of Amazon, the owner of seemingly half the world right now, which is kind of scary. But anyway, uh, he said this, most decisions should probably be made with somewhere around 70% of the information you wish you had. If you wait for 90%, in most cases, you're probably being slow. Plus, either way, you need to be good at quickly recognizing and correcting bad decisions. If you're good at course correcting, being wrong may be less costly than you think, whereas being slow is going to be expensive for sure. Now he's obviously talking about business and, you know, you kind of have to dive in and take some leaps of faith and take those risks and, you know, high risk, high reward situation kind of thing. But I feel like in game design and design in general, it's the same kind of thing. If you wait until, you know, you're 90%, 100% sure that this is what you need to be doing, you're slow, you're late, you know, you're, you're going to miss, 
you're going to miss some things. And you also, that might take you 10 years. So like what happened to those 10 years that you just kind of waited around and you've lost 10 years of, of good work that you could have been doing. And maybe it wouldn't have been exactly what it needed to be and all that, but you'd have been doing something. You'd have been growing, you'd have been learning. And so biggest encouragement right off the bat is just don't wait. You know, you'll look back a year from now and wish you'd started today. You know, that's one of those things. If you wait a year, you're going to look back a year from now and wish you had really gotten going today. You had done whatever, started that book, started that game, started working on that, that creative thing. And so don't wait, jump in. And it's not going to be exactly what it's supposed to be. It's not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's going to be something. And something is infinitely better than nothing, right? One is infinitely greater than zero. And so having one of something is way better than having zero of something. And so I just want to encourage you to, to realize that. You know, a lot of times we feel like, oh, this is hopeless. I'm not any good. Uh, this design I'm working on, this thing I'm trying to create, it's just not, it's terrible. This this whole thing is hopeless. And we all kind of get into that deep, dark a dungeon, that, that trench, that, that hole some from time to time, that hole of darkness and, and thinking that it's no good. But you know, whenever you're thinking something's hopeless, I want to remind you, and from the great words of the uh, Netflix original show Troll Hunters, which my kids love and I've been watching and I love it. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. This is what one of the, uh, one of the trolls, one of the characters said, even the word hopeless is not void of hope. So whenever you're feeling just kind of deep, dark, down, you know, trying to figure out life and, and feeling, you know, oh, this is not any good, this is hopeless, this design is not working out, whatever. Just remember, even even the word hopeless has a little hope in it. And so just kind of take that as a little silver lining, that maybe there is a little hope. Maybe there's a little more hope than you realize. Maybe put that design on the shelf for a little bit, come back to it later. Maybe there's something uh, in there that, that will come out later as, as something bigger. You know, maybe, maybe it's just a learning process. Maybe it's something that you're just growing from. Maybe it's just an experience that you need to have to go from point A to point L, you know, point A to point Z, right? That you have all these stops along the way. It's not hopeless. Just keep fighting. Just keep going and just try to keep figuring it out. Now, as far as that stuff goes, I want to want to take some time. I'm going to read a blog post to you, which sounds kind of weird. I guess I could have just emailed it to you, but I felt like reading it goes a little further. And I know a lot of you uh, listen to this show in the car. You, you listen to it on the way to work. You listen to it while you're out mowing the lawn or, or jogging, that kind of thing. And so I want to read some really interesting things I've been learning uh, from a couple different blogs. Uh, one of those is James Clear, and he writes a lot of really interesting stuff. JamesClear.com. Highly recommend that. Uh, website for some really cool stuff as far as productivity and, and motivation and you know stop procrastinating that kind of thing and he wrote an article a while back called lessons on success and deliberate practice and he went into different things he had been learning so he's been learning stuff and teaching me and now I'm learning stuff and trying to teach you and uh, it's just a really cool process we're in uh, but he's been learning some really cool stuff from different psychologists and different people around the world who've been studying you know, productivity, studying, getting things done, studying how to become the best in the world at what you do. And he wrote a really interesting article where he talked about the, the work of John Hayes. And John Hayes is a cognitive psychology professor at Carnegie Mellon University. And he's been doing some really interesting research. And he did a good chunk of research on famous composers and really trying to figure out, like, what made them great? How did they become great? Was it just genius? Were they just born that way? They just kind of came out of the womb knowing how to compose this music? Or was there more to it? than that. And so I just want to pick up and kind of read some of these things that uh, James Clear wrote about Hayes's research. For decades, John Hayes has been investigating the role of effort, practice, and knowledge in top performers. He has studied the most talented creators in history, people like Mozart and Picasso, etc., to determine how long it took them to become world-class at their craft. Furthermore, he has investigated the choices and experiences that have led to their success. Hayes started his research by examining successful composers. He analyzed thousands of musical pieces produced between the years of 1685 and 1900. The central question that drove his work was this. How long after one becomes interested in music is it that one becomes world class? 
Eventually, Hayes developed a list of 500 pieces that were played frequently by symphonies around the world and were considered to be the master works in the field. These 500 popular pieces were created by a total of 76 composers. Next, Hayes mapped out the timeline of each composer's career and calculated how long they each had been working before they created their popular works. What he discovered was that virtually every single masterwork was written after year 10 of the composer's career. Out of 500 pieces, there were only three exceptions, which were written in years 8 and 9. All right, so he studied 76 composers, 500 works, and all but three were written after year 10 of the composer working at this and trying to figure things out and, and, and growing and practicing and learning. All right, so that's, that's kind of crazy. So let's keep it going. Not a single person produced incredible work without putting in a decade of practice first. Even a genius like Mozart had worked for at least 10 years before he, before he produced something that became popular. Professor Hayes began to refer to this period, which was filled with hard work and little recognition, as the 10 years of silence. In follow-up studies, Hayes found similar patterns among famous painters and popular poets. And these findings have been further confirmed by research from professors like K. Anders Erickson, who produced research that revealed that you need to put in 10,000 hours to become an expert in your field. That's what Malcolm Gladwell wrote that 10,000 hour uh, book about later on. So, I mean, this is kind of crazy when you really step back and, and start thinking about the greatest composers of all time. You know, people that we would say were just like geniuses. I mean, just in, in every aspect of the work, like just had incredible brains for music and composing and, and playing music and all these things. And every single one of them, with only three exceptions, right? It took 10 years or more to create what we now consider to be like their popular works, like the things that are just played all around the world, their master works. And the only exceptions were year eight and nine, right? So it's not like, oh, somebody had a one-hit wonder after year two. No, it just didn't happen. And so what does that mean in general? Well, in general, does it does it mean that it takes 10 years? Does it have to be 10 years before you can create the you know, best-selling novel or a best-selling game or best-selling album, something like that? No, absolutely not. But I think the concept is very much alive and well today. Now, you know, we live in an age of virality, Viral, you know, the viral nature of YouTube and, and social media and that kind of thing. And so a person can have that one song and it just goes nuts and you get a billion views and that kind of thing. But when we're talking about like masterworks, like things that people step back and go, wow, this is the greatest of all time. This is something that has, has never been done before. That takes a long time. It takes, you know, in these guys' cases, 10 years of silence, of just grinding, of working, of figuring things out, of practicing, of failing over and over again, you know, trying again, failing again, again, failing better, so to speak. I think we've talked about that on a podcast before. You know, can you fail better? It took 10 years of these guys just failing better and trying to figure out what it looks like. Oh, I need to put this note instead of that note. Oh, I need to slow this rhythm down. Oh, I need to do this or that or the other thing over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually they became the best in the world. And there's just no substitute for putting in that time. And I will talk a little bit more about what that looks like here in just a minute. But at the end of the day, you just got to put in the time. You got to put in the effort. You can't just expect to, to do this once every now and then, whether it's writing or working on a game or whatever, and be good at it. It just doesn't work that way. You're not, you were not born a great anything other than maybe great eater. Maybe you can eat pretty well or sleep really well. Like these natural human body functions, like maybe you can do that really well out of the womb. But in general, the things that... Uh, there we would call crafts or things that you know are artistic in nature that they take time they take uh, time to get better at to learn to to listen to other people to learn from what people have done in the past and see what they did and change some things around and new do new things that just takes some time and so I don't know where you're at in your design career right now you're in your journey but I want to encourage you just to keep going and realize that it took Mozart ten years right the great genius Mozart it took ten years to become anything close to what we now know Mozart as today 
And so keep keep grinding, keep fighting, just keep going. Uh, Rob W. In, in my book, Board Game Design Advice from the Best in the World, one thing he talked about was, you know, if he could give advice to his younger self. And the thing he said was, stop worrying, you're going to be good at this. I was like, wow, what, what great advice. I wish I could go back and give myself as a younger man and go, stop worrying, don't be anxious, it's going to be okay, you're going to eventually be good at this, and whatever we're talking about. So I want to tell you the same thing. Don't worry, you're going to be good at this, assuming you put in the time and the effort and the energy you need to become good. And, and it kind of boils down to, do you want this that bad? Like, do you want this just to kind of be a hobby? And you do it every once every now and then, and you feel a little little motivation, and you, you drink a little too much Red Bull or too much coffee that day, and you got a little extra energy in your step or something like that, and do it then. That's cool. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, I'll go for it. More power to you. But if you want to be great at this, if you want to be like really like this to be something that people know you for, then you got to put in that, that time and that 10 years of silence, so to speak. And so keep going. But I want to keep reading in this, this article, and I want to go into more depth, right? Because it's not just about the time, right? There's a little bit more to it. That. So let's pick it up. However, as Hayes, Erickson, and other researchers started digging deeper, they discovered that time was merely one part of the equation. Success wasn't simply a product of 10 years of practice or 10,000 hours of work. To understand exactly what was required to maximize your potential and master your craft, you had to look at how the best performers practiced. The practice habits of NBA uh, superstar Kobe Bryant provide a perfect example. And so James goes into different things about Kobe. You know, he's five-time NBA champion, incredible all-star, made hundreds of millions of dollars playing basketball. And he goes into this really cool story about a guy who worked with the uh, USA Olympic team, a guy named Robert, who was one of the trainers there, just kind of uh, on the ground, helping the guys practice, helping them you know, get ready to, to play in the games, to win, go win the gold medal. And Robert talked about Kobe Bryant and told a really cool story. And I just want to pick up uh, in Robert's story. It says this, I was invited to Las Vegas to help Team USA with their conditioning before they headed off to London. I've had the opportunity to work with Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade in the past, but this was the first time I would have any interaction with Kobe Bryant. The night before the first scrimmage, I had just watched Casablanca for the first time, and it was about 3.30 a.m. A few minutes later, I was in bed, slowly fading off to sleep when I heard my cell phone ring. It was Kobe. I nervously picked up. Hey, uh, Rob, I hope I'm not disturbing anything, right? Uh, no. What's up, Kobe? Well, I'm just wondering if you could help me out with some conditioning work. That's all. I looked at my clock. It was 4.15 a.m. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll see you in the facility in just a little bit. It took me about 20 minutes to get my gear and get out of the hotel. When I arrived and opened the room to the main practice floor, I saw Kobe Bryant there, alone. He was drenched in sweat as if he had just taken a swim. and It wasn't even 5 o'clock a.m. yet. We did some conditioning work for the next hour and 15 minutes. Then we entered the weight room where he would do a multitude of strength training exercises for the next 45 minutes. After that, we parted ways. He went back to the practice floor to shoot. I went back to the hotel and crashed. Wow. I was expected to be at the floor again at about 11 a.m. I woke up feeling sleepy, drowsy, and pretty much every side effect of sleep deprivation. Thanks, Kobe. I had a bagel and headed to the practice facility. This next part I remember very vividly. All of the Team USA players were there. LeBron was talking to Carmelo and Coach Krzyzewski was trying to explain something to Kevin Durant. On the right side of the practice facility, Kobe was by himself, shooting jump shots. I went over to him, patted him on the back, and said, Good work this morning. Huh? Like the conditioning, you know, good work. Oh yeah, thanks Rob. I really appreciate it. So when did you finish? Finish what? Getting your shots up. What time did you leave the facility? Oh, just now. I wanted 800 makes. So yeah, just now. <laughs> For those of you keeping track at home, Kobe Bryant started his conditioning work around 4.30 a.m., continued to run and sprint until 6 a.m., lifted weights from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., 
and finally proceeded to make 800 jump shots between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. Oh yeah, and then Team USA had practice. Now it's obvious that Kobe is getting his 10,000 hours in, but there's another part of his story that is even more important. Now that whole thing is, is a setup, right? It, it talks about basically the crazy, the crazy insane practice regimen that Kobe Bryant had, and no wonder he won five championships, no wonder he you know, made all this money playing basketball, was MVP of the league, all these things, because he put the time and the effort and the energy in. Now, he was blessed with some God-given abilities and gifts and his height and his weight and different things and just physical aspects. Absolutely, he was blessed with those things from birth. But he, probably, he would have never become who he became without this kind of work ethic of putting these thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in, in the gym, in the weight room, in the practice facility, all these different things, he became who, who we now know him as today because he was willing to put in the work. But there's something a little bit more to it than that. And kind of what the, the last uh, sentence uh, alluded to, there's another part that's even more important. Kobe isn't merely showing up and practicing a lot. He is practicing with purpose. Kobe had a very clear goal at practice, 800 made jump shots. He was deliberately focused on developing the skill of making baskets. The time he spent doing it was almost an afterthought. That sounds simple, but it's very different from how most of us approach our work each day. When most people talk about working hard, they use the amount of time they worked as an indicator of how hard they worked. For example, I worked 60 hours this week. I worked 80 hours this week. I worked 100 hours this week. I've spent 10 years writing this book. I've spent three years developing this game. Whatever, we speak in terms of time. Now, putting in a lot of time might make you tired, but simply working a lot, even if it's 10,000 hours over the course of your career, isn't enough to make you a top performer. It's not the same thing as practicing deliberately. Most people who think they are working hard are merely developing the skill of being in the gym, not the skill of making baskets. In the same way, many people who claim to be working hard are really just using a lot of time and not necessarily doing the things that actually get them to an end goal. To keep the basketball analogy going, consider this quote about deliberate practice from Aubrey Daniels. Consider the activity of two basketball players practicing free throws for one hour. Player A shoots 200 practice shots. Player B shoots 50. The player B retrieves his own shots, dribbles leisurely, and takes several breaks to talk to friends. Player A has a colleague who retrieves the ball after each attempt. The colleague keeps a record of shots made. If the shot is missed, the colleague records whether the miss was short, long, left, or right, and the shooter reviews the results after every 10 minutes of practice. To characterize their hour of practice as equal would hardly be accurate. Assuming this is typical of their practice routine and they are equally skilled at the start, which would you predict would be the better shooter after only 100 hours of practice? You see, it's deliberate, right? You have one person, you know, you have two people taking the exact same amount of time. They're both taking an hour in the gym, but one gets 200 shots up, one gets 50 up. Well, just in, the, in the, the sheer numbers, you would assume that the one shooting 200 is going to be better in the long haul than the guy shooting 50, right? He's got more experience. Now, they have the same amount of time. They both, at the end of that workout, could go, man, I put an hour worth of work in. But one of those has put more work in, in that same amount of time. And then, you know, what gets measured gets changed. And so anytime you're, you're doing something deliberately and you're measuring the amount of time you put in, you're measuring the uh, amount of effort and different things that you're doing and did you do it right or filming what you did if you're, if you're a speaker or you're a musician or whatever, and you go around and you, you film your performances and you go back and you critique those performances, well, that's deliberate and, you know, and you're getting better. You're measuring the things and you're seeing what you need to change. You know, when I was uh, playing football back in college, we had a, a sign on our film, in our film room that said, you are what you put on tape. And we filmed everything. We would film warm-ups. We would film stretching. And the coaches would go back in and kind of look and see how guys were stretching and warming up, like to that degree. Not only the games, not only the practices. 
and they would critique everything. And it was the the idea was just trying to get better, become excellent in everything that we did. And you couldn't lie. You know, the tape doesn't lie. Right? You you could have ESPN telling you you're great. You could have your mama and your dog telling you're great. But the tape didn't lie. The tape told exactly who you were, both in warm-ups, in practice, in games, and all those things. And so what are you doing to measure your development? Are you are you measuring your playtest or are you just playing your game? There's a difference between playtesting and playing your game. Very different. Playtesting, you take a more scientific approach. You know, you, you go into it with a hypothesis, you go into it with an idea in mind of something you're trying to test or change or figure out or see if it works, and you're you're measuring it, you're writing stuff down, you're videoing it if you have you know if you have that opportunity or that ability. You're recording people. You know, you're not just giving them a survey and letting them kind of write down a few words. Take some, take a recorder, get a recorder app on your phone. Hit record and say, hey, what do you think? And listen, you know, let them talk for a little bit and then record it. And then you can go back later and you can replay it. And you can go back through and write down notes and all that kind of thing. You're going to get more information from them verbally than probably written. So just an idea. Because it's not just about the amount of time you put in. Time is a huge factor, huge indicator of things. But it's also how you use that time, that deliberate use, that intentional use of your time. You know, when someone says, oh, I've been working on this for 100 hours, 1,000 hours, 10 years, something like that. It's like, that's, that's great. That means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. Because for all I know, you spent five years out of that 10 and you didn't even touch it, right? Like, that doesn't mean anything. So whether you've been working on a project for 10 days, 10 years, 10 hours, doesn't matter. Like, how, how intentional have you been? How deliberate have you been? How hard have you actually worked inside that amount of time that you're claiming? How persistent have you stayed in the actual creation of the thing, right? And so this is something Bill Bradley talked about. He said, ambition is the path to success. Persistence is the vehicle you arrive in, right? It's about staying persistent. It's about being deliberate and just working day after day after day after day. This is something John Maxwell talked about. He said, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. It's about habits. It's about the habits you create in your life, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever, right? It doesn't matter if we're talking about your health and your diet and exercise, or we're talking about uh, with your family, your kids, or your spouse, your significant other, whatever, or if you're talking about board games or writing books or creative projects. It's about your habits. It's about these microcosms in your life. You know, a lot of times we think about projects in the macro. Oh, I want to write a book. Oh, I want to make an album. Oh, I want to make a movie. I want to make a game, whatever. We think in these giant terms and we don't think in the micro level. We don't think about the thousand things you have to do to get done with that giant project, that monumental task. And we kind of put that way off in the distance somewhere and it's this far away idea, this dream. And we don't work our way back through the habits we're going to have to form and create in our lives to actually get there, to get to the dream, to get to the goal, to accomplish it. But life is all about micro. It's about microcosms. It's about what habits do I need to create in myself today to accomplish this thing a year from now. And so I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Really think through what are your habits? You know, are you only working on that thing when you feel like it? Are you only working on it when you have a little motivation and you get a little idea? Because if you're doing it that way, you're probably never going to finish. Or if you do finish, it's going to be 10 years from now because it takes so long to get there. But if you get yourself in the habit of just starting, of just doing anything, just working a little bit, making little micro goals, micro systems, micro subsets of things. Before you know it, you'll be done. It, it's, it's amazing how much uh, those things stack up. If you, you know, if you're only moving an inch a day, but you move every single day, you know, you'll get, you'll get to a mile in not that long, right? If you can just keep on doing it over and over again, inch at a time, inch at a time, inch at a time, but you do it every single day, you'll, you'll get there before you realize it. You know, Aristotle said this, he said, we are what we repeatedly do. Greatness then is not an act but a habit. You know, greatness is not something that you just like magically arrive at. You just you know, wake up one day and, oh, you're great. You don't stumble into greatness. 
Greatness is a habit. It's something you build upon every single day, and you kind of grow your way into greatness. You don't just show up one day. You don't just get to the top of the mountain and be like, oh, I'm not great now. Like, this doesn't happen. You have to build these habits in your life. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld is a great example. There's another blog post I want to read you a little bit from. This one comes from a guy named Brad Isaac. He's a software developer who had this really interesting interaction with Jerry Seinfeld, and it totally changed uh, Brad's life. And this system has actually helped me a lot in my own uh, personal uh, designing and, and creative uh, projects and different things. And so it's a system I feel like might be able to help you as well. So check this out. Years ago, when Seinfeld was a new television show and Jerry Seinfeld was still a touring comic, I was hanging around clubs doing open mic nights and trying to learn the ropes. One night, I was in the club where Seinfeld was working. And before he went on stage, I saw my chance. I had to ask Seinfeld if he had any tips for a young comic. What he told me was something that would benefit me for a lifetime. He said the way to be a better comic was to create better jokes. And the way to create better jokes was to write every single day. But his advice was better than that. He had a gem of a leverage technique he used on himself. And you can use it to motivate yourself even when you don't feel like it. He revealed a unique calendar system he uses to pressure himself to write. Here's how it works. He told me to get a big wall calendar that was a whole year on one page and hang it on a prominent wall. The next step was to get a big red magic marker. He said, for each day that I do my task of writing, I get to put a big red X over that day. After a few days, you'll have a chain. Just keep at it and the chain will grow longer every single day, he said. You'll like seeing that chain, especially when you get a few weeks under your belt. Your only job next is to not break the chain. Don't break the chain, he said again for emphasis. Over the years, I've used this technique in many different ways. I've used it for exercise, to learn programming, to learn network administration, to build successful websites, and build successful businesses. It works because it isn't the one-shot pushes that get us where we want to go. It is the consistent daily action that builds extraordinary outcomes. So with this system, it's all about building streaks. You know, I don't know what it is about our, our caveman brain, but we love streaks. If you think about Snapchat, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was leading a mission trip, and there was a, a girl. She was, I don't know, 15, 16-year-old uh, girl on, on this trip, and her leader had taken away her phone because she had, you know, been using it and when she wasn't supposed to be and whatever. I don't know what the situation was, but her, her leader had taken away her phone and said, you know, you'll get it back tomorrow, and she freaked out. She absolutely freaked out. And the leader's like, why, why are you so upset about this? Like, what is the big deal between having your phone now and having it you know, 8, 12 hours from now? And she said, I have a 407-day streak on Snapchat. And so if I don't have my phone, I'm going to lose that streak. And she was like beside herself. And I remember thinking, wow, Snapchat's so stupid. But yet, it still has this effect. This streak has this effect on this girl's life. Like, to the point where she's like raging, angry, mad. Because, well, one, she did something wrong and, have, you know, experienced this consequence of her poor behavior, right? So there's that going on. But then, like, it's this idea of, like, I'm going to lose my Snapchat streak. Well, what if you applied that to creativity? Like, what if we all had that same kind of response? If we were ever going to miss a day of working on writing or, or designing a game or making music, whatever it is, what if we had that same response? Like, no, I am not going to mess up this streak. Well, that's, that's kind of how this whole thing works because the more, the more of the streak you get going, you know, the more you don't break that chain, the more you don't want to break that chain. And so it's a super effective thing in our lives. I remember I, was, I had like a 90-something day streak on Duolingo a while back, and, and I was you know, trying to learn Spanish and trying to figure things out living down in Honduras. And I remember I, missed, like, I lost my streak because the power went out for like three days, and I just like, I couldn't get on the internet. And I remember feeling like so frustrated and annoyed about losing that streak. And I didn't actually get back on Duolingo for quite a while. 
after that because I lost my streak and it wasn't my fault. And I was just so frustrated. I know about it. it took me a couple of weeks to get back on Duolingo and actually start the streak going again. Right? Because you know, I had lost something that had, had meant something to me. It, it felt really good to keep that streak going. Well, can you do the same thing with creativity? I, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Go get one of those giant calendars and just start marking X's on that thing and don't let there be any gaps. Don't break the chain. Every time you work on you know, designing a game, creating something, Put that big red X and feel good about it, right? Create that positive feedback loop that's going to help you stay motivated, going to help you keep going, going to help you, you know, push things through to the end. And it doesn't have to be these giant, you don't have to spend four hours. Like it may, might just be 10 minutes. Maybe you come home late, you're tired, you know, things are going crazy, but find 15 minutes and cut some cards out. Find 10 minutes and, and print something out. Find a few minutes and, and do something that pushes something forward. Again, move an inch. You don't have to move a mile. Just move an inch and feel good about it and put that big red X and then come back to the next day. Right? It doesn't have to be these world-changing leaps and bounds. It's these microcosms, these micro habits of just moving forward. One is greater than zero and just going forward every single day and keeping that streak alive. If you're more into the digital way of doing things, I found a really cool app called Teal, T-E-A-L. It, it's free. It's got a paid version, but the free version works just fine. And it will help you track on your phone your streaks and how many times, how many days and which dates you did the thing. And you can just kind of go in there. You, you just hit plus and it'll add one to your streak. And it also gives you some timelines. It like gives you like a uh, countdown. Like it helped me remember my wife's birthday that was coming up. And so I said, okay, her wife, my, her birthday is this date. And it said, okay, that's in 21 days and 20 days, 19. Now I was able to remember her birthday really easily because it gets you countdowns, but you can go up or down with these things. And it's a super interesting app and you just kind of have it right there on your phone. And as a reminder, you know, oh, and it kind of shows you how many times you've done that. And you can track different things. So one thing, I'm tracking the number of playtests that I do on different games. So every time I do a playtest, boom, go up. Go up on that streak. Uh, and playtests aren't necessarily in a row, right, days in a row. But it still, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me going. And it allows you to, again, measure something. You look back and go, wow, I've playtested this game 27 times. Awesome. You feel really good about that, right? Can we get to 50? All right, I'm 27 now. Can I get to 50? And make it a game. Make it a, something uh, in your life to kind of help push you Forward. It's going to really help with your motivation because there's going to be a lot of days where you don't feel like doing it. But if you can just kind of, kind of get it in your head, but I'm not going to break the streak. I'm not going to break the chain. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to put this big red X. I'm going to go up one more in that teal app. I'm going to, I'm going to get to 50. I'm going to get to 365 out of 365 for this calendar. It can help you find that motivation when there is none because motivation doesn't really exist. It's not an actual thing. Like it's not something that you can like, oh, I'm going to drink this. I'm going to have motivation. I'm going to take this pill and have motivation. It doesn't work. You just have to do it. And what's interesting, once you start doing it, if you do anything for five minutes, typically you kind of get into the zone and you can start doing it and you can go 10, 15, 20, an hour, right? You can just keep going. You just have to start. So let this be a motivator to help you just start things. Because when you start, it's a lot easier to keep going. And so the hard thing is, is starting. So can you start, right? And hopefully this will be a, a good little tool for your toolbox to help you get some things done. And the last thing I want to talk about before we get into kind of the BGDL stuff is the attention to detail. It's that pursuit of excellence. This is something I tell my students a lot is how you do anything is how you do everything. And really not only just taking time and being deliberate, but deliberately taking the time to seek out and achieve excellence. This is something that, that Steve Jobs was, was huge on. This is something I read about him a while back. It says Steve Jobs cared even about the inside of his products, making sure they were beautifully designed even though the users would never see them. Taught by his father, who finished even the back of his cabinets, though they would be hidden against the wall, to think like a craftsman, in every design predicament, Jobs knew his marching orders. Respect the craft and make something beautiful. 
It's just an incredible attention to detail that got Apple to where it is now. You know, we can probably have long conversations about where they're going and, you know, good or bad and ugly like that with, without Steve Jobs at the helm. But Steve Jobs put Apple on the map as far as its design and beauty and elegance. And it was this attention to detail. He was willing to do, to go the extra mile, right? To, to do the extra things. And now it also added a little extra cost. But he was willing to do those things. And it showed in his work. He pursued excellence. And so just kind of, you know, main three things we've been talking about. Taking the time that's necessary to get good at it, at something. Being deliberate about that. But then take excellence in your work, right? You can deliberately go out there and just chunk a hundred, you know, a hundred basketballs at a goal and never really try to make it, right? You just throw the ball at the goal, not really work on your form, but you go, hey, I shot a hundred shots in, in an hour and so I feel really good about it and I've got, I'm measuring this and that and the other. But can you really, every time you do something, can you, every, every shot you take, can you do it trying to achieve excellence, trying to be perfect, trying to go through the perfect motion? And now when you're writing a book, every, every sentence, just doing your best to achieve Right, excellence. When you're designing a game, doing everything you can to achieve excellence and putting in the, the deliberate work over the amount of time that it takes, but really doing the detail stuff, going the extra mile, right? Because it's it's going to set you apart. You want to be the best in the world, you're going to have to find a way to set yourself apart from the other people, from other people. Now, you're going to set yourself apart in the amount of time. You know, if you're willing to put in the time, you're going to separate yourself from a lot of people because most people aren't willing to put in the time, right? Most people, they put in a little bit of time and they don't have the success that they really thought they should have or wanted or whatever, and they quit and they give up and they go away. Okay, so you're going to beat those people out just by putting in time, right? And then you're going to separate yourself from those other people that put in the time, and then they're real deliberate. They're intentional about it. So, okay, so you're going to have to compete with them and find a way to separate yourself from them. Well, that's that little extra. You want to be the best in the world? That's where that pursuing excellence comes from, that attention to detail. You have to find a way to separate yourself from all those folks and do your thing and do it to the best of your ability and do it with excellence. And it's going to be hard. Like I said at the beginning, these hacks are not to make, necessarily make things easier. Uh, they're hacks to make them possible. And so I'm hoping that you, you realize that when you look in the mirror, you know you have what it takes. You can do this. I promise. I wouldn't tell you if I didn't think it. Right? This is something I have to just tell myself all the time. You can do this. Don't worry about it. You're going to be good. Just keep putting in the time. Keep being deliberate. Keep chasing after excellence. Keep pursuing excellence. Keep paying attention to the details. And it's going to be fine. So I'm going to tell you the same thing. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're working on right now. Uh, maybe you're not working on anything. Maybe you're kind of between projects and you're just kind of stuck. Maybe you've been working, working on something for five years, 10 years, and you're just stuck. Keep working. Keep fighting. Keep pushing through. You will get there. And I hope I'm around to uh, help you get there as well. Really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. It's been a, an incredible privilege to put this podcast together every single week, to interview amazing people, to interact with the amazing community and engage with some of you guys over in the Facebook group or just through email. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for the future. Uh, I'm just honored to be part of what we're building here with the Board Game Design Lab. And I'm super excited about creating more, about doing more for the community, whether it's through uh, design contests, you know, sponsoring those or, or different products, different books I'm working on, different things, um, creating more content, creating more podcast episodes. And so today is the official launch, the official announcement of launching of the uh, Board Game Design Lab Patreon page. And I'm excited about it. I've been putting it together for a little while. I've been asking a lot of people in the community for their opinions or thoughts or ideas, you know, what, what you guys want. Like, what do you want? I don't want to just make something and say, hey, do you like it? I want to say, hey, what do you want? And then go make that thing because it just seems better for everybody. It's less time wasted and makes a lot more sense for, for both you and me. So I'm launching a Patreon page as of today. You can just uh, get on Patreon or you have links and all the email stuff that I send out to be in the Facebook group. But go to Patreon and search for Board Game Design Lab or search my name, Gabe 
Barrett, and you'll find the page there and just gives you opportunities to support the show in different ways. Now, if you want to just throw a couple bucks and, and kind of donate to keep the lights on, there's a, a pledge for that. There's a, a reward tier for that. But if you want some extra, because this is, I'm not, I don't want to do this just as a donation thing. I didn't want to just make a page where people could just, you know, could just throw some money and, and me say thank you, because I'm going to say thank you no matter what, I promise. But I wanted it to be more. I wanted you to, to get more. And so this isn't just the Board Game Design Lab Patreon. This is what I'm calling BGDL Plus. It's extra. And so I'm going to be doing different things for people when you, when you support the show at different levels. And I won't go into just kind of detail by detail. You, you can go to, over to Patreon and kind of see it all for yourself. Because there's a lot of stuff. I'm trying to offer some really great value over there. And, and it'd be more than just me reading your name on air. I didn't, I didn't feel like those kind of rewards really all that fun or interesting to me or made, made a lot of sense. So I wanted to do things that I felt like there's a lot of value in for your support. And so whether it's, you know, being able to vote on podcast guests or topics and kind of, you know, have your two cents to say, I want, I want to listen to this person. I want to hear this, uh, this topic talked about. Oh, that's, that's part of it. Or having early access to different products and different things I'm working on. I've got some really cool stuff coming uh, later this year, working on a game design journal right now. I'm super excited about that. Working on another book, working on a lot of different things that if you're one of the patrons, you'll have early access to, you know, one of the tiers you can send in audio questions to be, you know, to ask your question on, on the air and get it, get it answered in an episode, whether it's just me or whether I'm talking to another guest, you know, if it's, if it's a relevant question to our topic that your, your question gets asked in your voice, not just me reading it, but you get to ask it in your voice and, and get your question answered on an actual episode. There's chances to win monthly giveaways, you know, giving away gift certificates to Cool Stuff, Inc., you know, trying to put games in your on your shelf, right, cool games for you to play. You know, discounts on different products that the Board Game Design Lab is working on right now. Discounts on coaching calls. You know, for those of you that really just, you're struggling, you just need somebody to talk to, you need some help with whatever you're working on, whether it's your game or your Kickstarter or whatever, you know, I'd love to help you out with that and, you know, love to uh, share any advice that I've gained from learning from so many different people and now I know so many people in the industry, both publishers and designers and Kickstarter creators and whatnot. And so if you just need a little bit of coaching, I'm going to open up a coaching program really soon. And people that are patrons get discounts on that. And the last thing I'll talk about is, is actually very similar to what this podcast episode has been. So I'm going to release one podcast episode a month that's going to be focused on creativity or productivity, uh, motivation, time management, all those you know personal development skills and topics that are related to design, creativity, art, board game design. And we'll release one of those a month that Patreon backers will get first access to. I'll release it eventually. It's not going to be super, it's not going to be totally exclusive. I'll release it through their normal BGDL channels probably one month or two months later. And so if you're one of the supporters on Patreon, you, you get first access to that. You'll have that 30 days, maybe 60 days before anybody else. And just some different topics that I feel like will help you or different things I'm learning or, or figuring out or different systems and processes that are helping me or I've seen help other people that I just want to pass along. I read a lot. I cannot stop reading about this stuff. It just interests me so much. I love it. I watch a lot of YouTube videos about this stuff. And I just want to pass on that information to you. And I feel like having a little extra bonus episode, you know, 30, 40 minute show uh, once a month is a way to do that. And I want to offer that to people that are our backers on Patreon. So anyway, if, if the Board Game Design Lab has helped you in some way, if you've gotten value out of this podcast or out of the website and all the resources that I put out on a weekly basis, you know, please consider becoming a backer. Please consider heading on over to Patreon and supporting the show in some way, whether it's just with a couple of dollars or, or if you want to be part of the BGDL Plus and get all these extra bonuses and perks and benefits. I, I just really appreciate you taking a moment to consider it. I can't tell you how thankful I am for, for you listening. This has been crazy. We're getting close to half a million downloads of the show at this point, which blows my mind. Like, it's absolutely insane how many people 
uh, have come alongside to just listen to the show and, and join the communities and get uh, feedback, give feedback and get value out of what I've been doing uh, on a weekly basis. We're, we're in the 80s as far as episode now. We're getting close to 100 episodes at this point, and it's just crazy, and I can't thank you enough for listening, for being part of this, and I just want to encourage you to uh, to go check that out and help help me make more, right? I, I don't do this to make money. I make money so I can do this, right? That's really what this is about. It's not about the money. It's about being able to make more stuff and create more content and do more of this, this amazing uh, thing that I love and that I feel like a lot of you are really loving as well. So anyway, thanks again. Thanks for listening and uh, good luck with everything you got going on right now. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?